We want to welcome Bruce this morning. Um, we gave him lots of time. We finished about five minutes earlier than you, I usually take, so he's got a good, good, good 45 minutes to speak. Yeah. You can speak however long you want. I don't care. Yeah, long as you want. All right, it's all yours, Bruce. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. I cannot remember a time when I spoke well for 45 minutes. <laughs> all right, this is my second time to be here, and I think you guys have the record of me being here. Um, I'm actually not only just your director of missions for this whole area, but I'm the interim pastor at First Southern Kingman. Been there for, I think this is my 17th month now. Um, they've had a couple suspects in custody, but couldn't get them into the jail. Um, and so I'm still there. And uh, but um, So I've had a few weeks off over there, and two of them I've actually been with you guys. So thank you for inviting me back. And um, I want to tell you... Um, you have one of the most impressive pastors in our network, and I want to tell you why I think that. Not only because he's good-looking, right? <laughs> but here's a guy who works, and you know all this, but I want you to know I recognize it. Here's a guy who works full-time. Um, maybe the thing in custody and all that about the preacher wasn't really the good analogy with you working at the prison. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I should change that. Anyway, um, he teaches I don't know how many Bible studies during the week, um, does all kinds of things and then hosts us pastors once a month for our meeting um, the guy is just like the energizer bunny so uh, pastor Ralph you you are the kind of pastor that churches should envy to have so thank you for your service um, now I've got some good news or I've got some bad news depending on how you want to look at it I have been preaching through the book of James at First Southern. I'm in chapter five. Guess where? This message is from, and I may be behind you by a week, and so uh, you, may, you may recognize my bad theology because you've already been through it. Starting with verse 13 and going through verse 17, so or 16. So James chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 on the idea of prayer. And uh, so I want to read that passage to you and then jump into it and uh, let's, uh, let's have some fun with it. All right, here it is. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then verse 17 is the example of Elijah. All right. So what I like to do is just walk through the verses, uh, probably like your pastor does, um, and then kind of give you some practical aspects. So I want to walk through these verses and then give you, uh, the last part will be a caution about confession. So verse 13, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. So you have some choices when you're in trouble and you begin to pray. You can do the age-old foxhole negotiation God, I'm in trouble. If you get me out of this, then I will. And the ultimate is, I will become a missionary in Africa. That's the ultimate, all right? 
if you get me out of this trouble, I'll quit drinking. If you get me out of this trouble, I'll go to church. If you quit, if you get me out of this trouble, I'll become a monk. You know, if it's the foxhole negotiation, I'm in trouble and I need to get out. Or if you're in trouble and you decide to pray, you may do it as a last resort. Why not? Everything else hasn't worked, so I might as well pray, um, which is probably the worst way to view things. Or if you're in trouble, you can pray and get biblical clarity on the situation. One of my favorite stories is Nehemiah. In the Old Testament, Nehemiah was a guy who served the king, but he was a Jew, um, and he recognized that Jerusalem was in ruins, and Nehemiah's heart was broken. And in chapter 1, the scripture says that Nehemiah, when he heard about Jerusalem, he sat down and for days, for days, he wept and he mourned and he prayed and he was and he fasted he was devastated well by the time you get I think it's by the time you get to chapter 2 the king says why are you so sad what can I do for you and the scripture says that Nehemiah prayed to the Lord and said to the king that's pretty interesting because most of us skip chapter 1 when we're in trouble we pray real quick and then say God help me but Nehemiah when he was in trouble he spent days fasting, mourning, weeping, praying. And so the scripture says, if you're in trouble, you should pray. You know, the practical part of that part of this verse is that when you pray when you're in trouble, it seems to slow things down. And uh, I've learned over my career that if there's a problem, if you can kind of slow that thing down, the answers come a little easier. You ever watch people in a discussion and it just gets faster and faster and faster? And as it gets faster in the discussion, they escalate. And as they escalate, they just get stupider as it goes. You know, slow that baby down and just let that discussion and that thought pattern play out for a while. So if you're in trouble, pray. All right? If you're uh, happy, the scripture says, then sing songs of praise. Not just music, but music of praise. So you guys got to preacher who works for a living, who pastors for a living, who teaches all kinds of stuff, and then sings on top of that. Good night. I get jealous of guys like you, Ralph. I can't. I sit up here and I just enjoy the music. I don't sing much. I, I say it's because I want to save my voice for the big time, you know, for preaching, but it's really because I don't want to do damage. Anyway, not to my voice, to, to the church. Then the scripture says in verse 14, is any one of you sick? If you are, call the elders to pray and anoint the person with oil. So let's stop here and talk about this for a moment. So anoint with oil, you have the idea of the spiritual oil and the medicinal oil. I want to take you on just a two-part journey. Uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn uh, over to Mark chapter 6, verse 12, I want to read a passage to you. Um, that demonstrates the idea of the spiritual nature of oil when it's applied. All right, so Mark chapter 6, verse 12, says this, They, meaning the disciples, the disciples went out and preached that people should repent. That's the main message of preaching to repentance. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Now, it's possible that's a reference to a medicinal issue of oil, but it's connected to the spiritual. 
anointed them with oil and healed them. So in Mark chapter 6, it is definitely connected to the spiritual. So call the elders to pray and anoint with oil. There's a spiritual thing going on there according to the scripture. Now go ahead to the next book, uh, Luke, and find Luke chapter 11, actually chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and you'll find the story of the Good Samaritan. A guy's walking along the road and he gets bushwhacked by some robbers. He's laying there half dead. He's very much uh, in pain, very much wounded. Uh, two religious guys walk by and just, in fact, they don't just walk by, they walk around. They go to the other side of the road and walk by. And then the story's about the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan, who is a hated, the Samaritans are a hated people group by the Jews. Uh, this guy that was just uh, a bum, according to the Jews, saw the man who was um, who had been attacked, who was laying on the road. And verse 34, this is what the man did, the Samaritan. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Okay, this is all physical. There's no spiritual connotation here. It's all physical. He went um, to him and bandaged his wounds, wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to the inn to take care of him, the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any expenses you may have. Here's an issue where oil was used as a medicinal issue, a physical part of healing. It's the medication, the oil and the wine, to clean out, to soothe, to heal. So going back to James chapter 5, when you call the elders to pray, and then anoint with oil, there are two things going on here. One is a spiritual, one's a physical. I'm gonna to submit to you that the modern day oil, not the spiritual side, medicinal side, the modern day oil is pray over them and call the doctor. Pray over them and get them some medical help. The oil was what was available medicinally. Today we have other things. Get the camphophonique, get the whatever to heal. Don't discount the spiritual, but God uses the physical as well, all right? And so if you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, sing songs of praise. If you're sick, call the elders to pray. Verse 15, have you guys gotten to verse 15 in your study yet? Yes? Okay, I may be in trouble. All right. The prayer in faith will make the sick person well. This is a tough statement. Um, last Sunday morning, as I was preaching, on the right-hand section, there are three sections. There's the right, the center, and the left. On the right-hand section, I think he was two rows back, was a guy named Mike, whose wife Marie had been sick for a long time, was in hospice for several months. She died a week ago yesterday. Let me get my timing right. That was a week ago. She died the previous week. And he was sitting in church. She had passed away three or four days prior to that. I believe it was on a Monday. 
she was very sick. We have a, at First Southern a wonderful group of deacons. S uh, six deacons and three deacons in training. And if I showed you my telephone, my cell phone, I could show you the texting. They're on a group text. I'm on it along with our associate pastor. And the overwhelming majority of the texting that goes back and forth with the deacons is about praying for people. There is no doubt that Marie was prayed for for a long time. And Marie passed away. I was with one of our fellow pastors a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I wasn't actually with him. We were speaking on the phone. And he said he had COVID. I wasn't with him. I was on the phone. Let me correct that. Um, 13 folks in his church had COVID. They were shutting down for about a month. And one of the 13 had passed away just within that last week. Sick people die. So we have this passage, the prayer and faith will make, you, make the sick person well. And I know that we're tempted to say, well, that's the spiritual side. But the context of the passage is, the prayer will make the sick person well. Physically sick. This is a tough statement. I don't consult a lot of commentaries because they're just guys who look at Scripture and make comments. And uh, I figure if I'm going to preach, I want to figure out what the Lord's saying for that time, not what someone else said. And I know none of them were Baptist commentaries. Now, this joke didn't fly last week, so I'll try it again, let you know. I know there weren't Baptist commentaries because they danced all around the subject. <laughs> Baptists are known not you know, to dance. Though. Anyway, I think I'll just take that one out of my repertoire. That's just, that's twice in a row. It's kind of got a courtesy laugh at best. So the commentaries just dance around the issue. I can't explain it. I'll tell you two things I know. I know that the scripture is true. I'm one of those old-fashioned guys who believes from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end, the scripture is true it's whole, it's accurate, I can use the infallible, I can use the big words like infallible, inerrant, I can use all those fancy things. I'm like the guy who said, I believe the Bible cover to cover, and I even believe the covers, you know? I believe the Bible's true. The scripture is true in what it says. I also know that sick people die. So I have this problem. The Bible is true, sick people die. What do I do with that? Do I say, well, I guess the Bible is not true. Well, I'll never come to that position. Or do I say, hmm, here's an option. I don't know. I do not know what James meant when he said this statement. It's obvious James saw people die. It's obvious James walked with the Lord. So he's got this relationship with God. He's writing this under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, knowing that people die. So somewhere through the generations, 
the explanation or the intent of what he meant, at least in my mind, Pastor, when I'm gone, correct me, don't, don't do it like when I'm standing here, but the intention has been skewed or kind of hidden somehow because I don't understand it. Um, it's a tough statement. I can't explain it. But I can tell you that the Scripture says, when you're sick, call the church leadership to pray. And God hears those prayers. I can tell you that not everyone survives even when the elders or church leaders pray. So I'm not sure what it means. But it doesn't stop me from asking people to pray. And it doesn't stop me from praying for people. Then verse 16, we move to the spiritual. All right. So 15, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Then it says, If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now that part we know. Because there's no sin that God cannot forgive. There are certain groups that teach that there are certain sins that can't be forgiven. There's no sin that can, cannot be forgiven. Every sin is forgivable. The only thing that, that God will not tolerate is unbelief. There's, the only thing God will not accept in your life is your lack of belief in Christ as Lord and Savior. Past that, every sin is forgivable. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The power of a righteous man is effective. Now, here is where um, here's where things get a little dicey. When you confess your sins to each other, there is a physical and a spiritual connection. Often when people have sin, their spiritual life is for sure messed up. But it bleeds over into the physical, where often the physical is messed up as well. When there's secret sin in someone's life, when they're hiding a secret sin, it permeates their life and it can do damaging things to the physical body. When there's guilt for things, it can do damaging things. When there's regret over sin, it can damage. I've, I've talked to a couple people about me needing a counselor in regard to sin. Now don't don't be scared. It's not my sin. It's someone else's sin. Your pastor may very well understand what I'm about to say. When you're a pastor and people come to know you and trust you, people come and they confess their sin and they share their burdens and it becomes a heavy weight as you listen and understand and know some of the deepest things about people. And if it happens once, 
a parishioner comes and tells you something, it's burdensome. By the fifth time, someone comes, not the same person, but different people. By the eighth time, by the eleventh time, that load on your spirit begins to weigh you down. Because you have all this knowledge and you have nowhere to go with it. In my job as director of missions, I have pastors who have begun to trust me and tell me things. Pastors struggle just like church folks do. They struggle with their own stuff, and then they struggle with their church's stuff. Pastor told me something last month about someone else, and it rocked me to the core. Nothing I could do about it. Nothing. It wasn't my story. I didn't hear it firsthand. I didn't know it to be true. But just the information alone just set me back. Confessing of sin to each other is, is what the Scripture says to do. And when we confess our sins to one another then there's great healing. There's great spiritual renewal. But there's some aspects of confession that just scream danger, danger, danger. And I want to give you some of those. Because I think this idea of confessing sin to one another, when you do something wrong, you need to confess that sin. But there are some dangers, and I want to give you some of those. I want to give you some warnings. Number one, when you confess your sins to each other, confess only your sin and not someone else's. I have no right to tell you that Ralph and I robbed that bank last week. I have every obligation to confess that I robbed the bank. But I cannot confess his sin in helping me rob the bank. In fact, it was his idea. If you're involved in sin and you're not the only person involved, you have an obligation to confess your sin, but you have no right to confess someone else's sin. Here's number two. Confess only as much sin as you need to confess. Let me explain that. You need to limit the details on your confession. You need to skip the salaciousness. When I was growing up, there used to be these things called evangelists. And they would travel the country and they'd come and preach and back in our day some of you have a little bit of gray hair like I do some of you have less hair than I do which is hard by the way I got a big kick out of the newspaper this morning you know the county health lady talked about the spread of COVID and she said now it's the young people who are spreading it and I thought yeah, that's right those 18 to 30 year olds that's right and then she 
she uh, defined young as 20 to 50. <laughs> I thought, whoa, I'm just barely over young, you know? Yeah, so anyway, where was I? Okay, back when I was a kid and a lot of you were kids, we had these, and they'd come for like two weeks sometimes back in the day. Now we have, then we went down to one-week revivals and three-day revivals. Now we don't even know what the word means. But they, so I remember some of them when I was young coming in and they'd do a testimony night. They'd give their personal testimony. It would be 25 minutes on their sin. Wine, women, gambling, whatever. In this great detail about how great sinners they were. And then three minutes on the gospel and how Christ changed their lives. It ought to be three minutes or one minute on my life of sin and 25 minutes on what God has done after that. So when you confess, confess your sin and confess only as much sin as you need to confess and skip the details. I was in church a few weeks ago and this, uh, this person walked up. It was a lady, I'll just say this lady. Could have been a guy, doesn't really matter. She said, I want you to pray for so-and-so. Her daughter and son-in-law are getting a divorce. I said, okay. And she said, I don't mean to gossip. And then I knew what was coming. And she said, turns out that the son-in-law is involved in, and she named some pretty bad stuff. I said, stop right there. Now, now you, you're gossiping. And, oh, I didn't mean to. I said, I said, don't worry about it. Just no more. Okay, I'm very sorry. I was just going to tell you because, and then she named it again, because it's really damaging the marriage. Stop. Just stop right there. I don't need any more information than their marriage is in trouble. Stop. Period. End of sentence. End of conversation. I don't need to know anymore. Neither does anybody else. Here's number three. Confess sin only to those who need to hear it. Confess sin only to those who need to hear it. If I sin against your pastor, I'm going to confess to your pastor that I sinned against him. I'm not going to stand up here and confess to you that I sinned against him, unless I did it right in front of the whole church. Right? There are folks who believe that if they sin against one another, they should stand in front of the whole church and confess it and get everybody involved in the whole thing. Not so. Confess your sins to one another, not to the whole world. And I guess in this text context, it is the whole world if I confess sin. By the way, to all of you listening around the world, we did not rob a bank. So <laughs> do, do not call the FBI. We did not do it. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I didn't do it, but Ralph was wearing a mask, so I wasn't sure if it was him or not. So... Number five, confess sin without but, however, because. I robbed that bank, but I really needed the money. The casino was having a special on chips. <laughs> Not chips and salsa. Chips. When you confess sin, let's say that I'm talking to your pastor and I say, Pastor Ralph, 
you know, I'm sorry about what I said about you, and I confess my sin, but, when you say but, or however, you've just negated everything else, and you've just justified what you've done. When you justify what you've done, you're not confessing. You're explaining why you are right in your sin. Something wrong with that. All right, that was number five. Confess your sin without any buts or howevers. Number six, offer restitution where possible. This is a difficult one because if I gossip about you, that's out there. I can't take it back. I can't make restitution for that. Often, the restitution part is difficult. Because most of the time, we haven't stolen from somebody. We've said something or we've acted a certain way. And all we can do is change our ways and become different. I can tell you a time when I did offer restitution. Sue and I were young. We were in our 30s. We had just moved to Montana. We were starting a church. And uh, we bought an old school building, paid $80,000 cash for that school building on the first anniversary of our church start. 30 years ago, $80,000 was a chunk of change. We raised it in 90 days. It was amazing. Part of what we did was um, I contacted my parents and said, um, I'd like to borrow $10,000 to give to the church. And I made a deal with my parents that if I didn't pay back that $10,000 in three years, I would sell our house and we paid them the money. Three years rolled around and I paid them $5,000. I owed them $5,000. And I was gonna, we were getting ready to put our house on the market. And a lady in the church came up to us and gave us $5,000 and said, this is for your parents. This is not a loan, this is a gift. And I sent my dad and my mom that $5,000, and we were clear. Well, soon after that, as the church was growing, I wanted to keep pushing ahead. You know, we got to build a new sanctuary. We got to do this, got to do that. And I was free and clear. And I couldn't understand why people weren't with me on the idea, some of them, some of the leadership. And it wasn't long after that, a couple years, I resigned out of frustration and said, you know, if you guys are going to be pig-headed, then forget it. I'll go find some people who know what real leadership is. Then it came to me, oh, about two years too late, that what happened was people who had put in money to buy the church were still trying to recover from that. And they're still trying to recover. And I was saying, let's charge ahead and do some more because I was free and clear. And I became belligerent when I was trying to charge ahead. And two years later, almost three years later probably, I realized that. So I wrote a letter to our director of missions and said, would you get these five families together? And I wrote an individual portion to each family and told them how sorry I was for my, for my stubbornness and my pig-headedness. There was not a but or a however in the entire letter. I took responsibility for all of it. And to the lady who gave us the 5000 we put in a $5,000 check. 
and said, to make sure you know our words are from our heart, here's the $5,000. I know I don't owe it to you, but to honor you and to seek forgiveness, here's the $5,000. And I forbade her to give it back. That's tough writing a $5,000 check. Best check I ever wrote, probably. Sometimes restitution is possible. And sometimes restitution hurts a little bit. But the more it hurts, the more meaningful it is. And the greater signal it sends that your sin is being confessed. So confess your sin. Your, confess only your sin. Confess only as much as you need to confess. Confess only to those who need to hear it. Confess without any buts or howevers. Offer restitution. Number seven, go and sin no more. Stop confessing. Start doing the right thing. The woman who was caught in adultery, go and sin no more. I worked for a college for a long time. I can't tell you how many professional confessors we had at the college. Semester after semester, I'm sorry I plagiarized. I'm sorry I didn't study. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You just want to say to them, which I did on occasion in a very nice way, shut up. Just stop it. Do the right thing. Do your own work. Do the research. Study. Stop confessing and do the right thing. People get in this mindset, I just keep doing the wrong thing. And if I just confess all the time, then I'm good. Go and sin no more. Stop confessing. Start doing the righteous. Here's number eight. The confession of sin equals righteousness before God. And the scripture says it's powerful and effective. The righteous person is powerful and effective. Confession of sin brings righteousness back to your life. And here's the final one. Confession of sin needs no priest, no pastor, no clergy, no deacon, no elder. It needs nobody. Because the scripture says we are to confess our sins directly to the Father. Not the Catholic Father, not the Baptist Father, the Father in heaven through Christ. There's a term Baptists use, it's called the priesthood of the believer. Each one of us as believers stand in front of God as a priest and we have direct access. We don't need an envoy, we don't need an emissary, we don't need a go-between. We simply need to go directly to Christ, confess our sin. If required, we need to go to each other and confess our sin. And that's what the scripture talks about. I'm going to close with one final thing. And that is the, first, the first confession of sin that begins everything in a person's life spiritually. And that is when a person comes to the place where they say, for the first time, I know that I am a sinner, that my sin has caused a broken, damaged relationship between God and me. It is so broken and damaged that I am not a part of God's family 
as I stand here in my sin. And that first confession of sin is, God, I confess my sin, and I come to you in repentance, and I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's the first confession of sin that God's looking for. Until that moment, all the other stuff is just junk on the side. You must come to Christ in confession and repentance of sin. I'm going to encourage you, if you're sitting in a spot in your spiritual life where you've listened to the Bible, you've heard the scriptures, you've heard the pastor teach over and over about what it means to be saved, you've heard him speak over and over about the God who would welcome you into his family, but you've never decided for the, for the, for the moment to come to Christ. The moment's now. Your opportunity is now, and I would encourage you to confess your sin to Christ, invite him into your life, and then, not as a part of salvation, but as a part of that obedience, to come and let your pastor know, and let him know, and then you share it with the church, that you have come to know Christ through confession of sin. So the scripture's all about prayer. If you're in trouble, pray. Slow it down, pray. Let God kind of work through the situation, give you an answer. If you're happy, man, sing songs of praise. Now, if you have a lousy voice, do it quietly. If you're sick, call your pastor, call your church leaders. If you have sin, confess your sin one to another. Let the righteousness of God take over in your life. Right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that your scripture is so clear about the basics, about confession of sin and your righteousness becoming our righteousness when we confess our sin to you. And Father, help us to keep a sweet fellowship with our families, our, our fellow believers in our church, our community people. Lord, help us to confess our sins one to another and bring that righteousness to every situation. Father, thank you for your scripture. We know it's true. We know there is no shadow of doubt in it. It is our guide, our only guide, our ultimate guide. It is the book that you have given us to know you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23 we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe 
you are God's child and part of, of his family. We encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.